Probably for the best. Sorry to make you wait, by the way. Thanks for being flexible. Oh, of course. I so enjoy doing these with you. So. As do I. I was, we were, we were cleaning up our house because our cleaning lady is coming tomorrow. So we didn't start dinner until a little bit later than we would. Oh, look at Mr. Fancy Pants with the cleaning lady. Hmm. Well, we've, we've known, she's been, she's been cleaning our house for like three households now. Basically since I was like five years old or so. So That's cool. Yeah. She's, she's been, she's been part of our setup for a long time. That's great. I should get one of those. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds kind of nice, actually. Like I've got a, I've got a, a, a drywall guy, mm-hmm. and I've got a, I've got a gutters guy, and I have a leaf guy. Yeah. Should work on that cleaning lady thing. Um, Gee, I could probably see if Jenny knew, but if she knew if knows of anyone who might want to, you know, she might even want want to work. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, should Lord <laughs> see fit to bless us with a child. I will take you up on it. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Sure thing. Did you get a chance to look at that, that little clip I sent you? I did. That was funny. Yeah. That was that's pretty like good. That, that's the first that maybe that first thing, but definitely the second thing that comes to my mind every time that um, Antarctica episode of Stargate SG One comes to. Dude, Amanda Tapping is funny. Yeah, she is. She is, like, super funny. No, um, I wanted to start tonight's episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have kind of a cool thing to talk about. Um, and I think I'm going to talk to you about it a couple days ago. Uh, many years ago, when I was Sergeant Lester, I had the pleasure of mentoring a uh, young private named Lane. Mm-hmm. And Lane was a good kid. He's probably about 19 when I knew him. Yeah. And, you know, he's fresh out of uh, combat medic training. And the funny thing was, was that I actually went to combat medic training with the guys that were Lane's uh, training NCOs, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> in San Antonio. And he's like, yeah, we had this guy. He was Sergeant, Staff Sergeant, what's his name? And I was like, what's his name? I went to, I, I, I've seen what's his name naked many times. Like, so what's his name? Like, would fucking, uh, uh, he would come back from the Riverwalk drunk. And then I remember just seeing him walking around naked as the day he was born in a pair of flip flops wearing a smile. And, he just looks at me, opens the window on the second floor, and just pees out the window, right? <laughs> oh, my Lord. And Only so, the Army. Yeah, basically. And then he's traded the news troops. I, I tell uh, Layton that story. He's like, yeah, Sergeant, what's his name? Was He kind of smelled like bourbon most of the time. I'm like, yeah, that's him. And, <laughs> and so the kid Lane when I first had the pleasure of training him, being his mentor as NCO, he, um, I remember he came to me and he said, Sergeant Lester, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a good medic. And I'm like, first of all, thank you so much for telling me that and feeling comfortable enough to come to me with that. Second of all, don't tell another soul those words ever. (laughs) Now, let's sit and talk 
what do you mean? <laughs> because most of the job was about you had people had it was, their belief in you was like half of what kept the machine going, mm-hmm. right? So like if they thought that you didn't know you if you weren't confident then they thought, oh, he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing, right? But if you're confident, then they'll go 10% further, right? Thinking, oh, Doc's got me. He can do anything. I'm immortal. It's and basically so, like it's basically like that cartoon. I think I don't know if you sent it to me or if I sent it to you, but I know I saw it on Discord at some point in the last couple of months. Where this I think it's like a war, it's like a World War One battlefield, and the soldier's laying on the ground and he says, Sergeant, I can't feel my legs. And the sergeant looks over and he grabs something and he hands it to he hands his legs to him and says, Here they are, son, don't worry. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you're, you're basically <laughs> That's funny. So it's it's like, yeah, you're 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 trying to sustain the forward momentum of a fighting machine by just by sustaining the confidence of its basic most basic units that if they are injured, they won't die. Yeah, or at least somebody who halfway knows what they're doing might be able to pull a rabbit out of his ass and yeah, do something, right? Exactly. You know, like the effective rate of CPR is like 19%. Right. It's not yeah. that great, but it's better than a hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so Lane tells me this. And I ask him, Well, how many patients have you treated? And he goes, I think maybe ten, maybe twelve. I'm like, Are you fucking dude? You haven't done anything yet. Of course you don't know anything because you haven't done anything. <laughs> You've been a medic for five minutes. <laughs> right. I uh, uh, and, and I was like, just give yourself some time. You're going to be a fantastic medic. Hell, you'll be a great medic NCO. You'll be better than me one day. It'll be great. And so fast forward to now. Lane isn't a medic anymore. He's in combat arms. And Lane uh, is deployed overseas to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And I had this fun sort of like full circle moment where I remember when I was deployed to the Middle East and I had people write me, people that I had known in the military, they wanted to make sure that they knew, they wanted to make sure I knew I wasn't forgotten back home. Yep. And so I got the chance to do that for Lane, right? Yeah. And I got to, and it was just, I wrote a stupid letter and then I put a couple like silly patches, the Velcro one that says like secret squirrel or something. <laughs> and I put that in there for him. And I got to I got to be his NCO one more time. I haven't seen Lane in person in five years, probably. To him, I'm probably encased in amber, right? <laughs> uh, in his memories. Because when he knew me, he was 19, and I was the first guy that really invested in him. And then he left to go do his own thing, find his own path. But Because I, I have an old NCL that's like that for me. And I just wanted to share that story with you. And just... And when it's your turn to like mentor somebody, it's so worth it, because years later, they'll remember you. Yeah. And... They'll still, because you're, when you have a positive impact on somebody, especially when they're just starting out, 
you become encased in amber and their memories and their eyes. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of see you as this like just great. You're this great memory of theirs that gets to reach out from the past and just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, kid, you're doing great. And well, it makes me think of two things. So the first thing it makes me think of is the original. Well, I won't say the original, but like the, the original. Me- I guess it is the original meaning of the term mentor. You know, if, yeah. if you're familiar with your Greek uh, classics, that's from what is it, the Odyssey? Probably. Where it's. It's. I, I think it is. I think it's. It's mentor was the name. This is where the term comes from. Mentor was the name of the aged warrior whatever, who Odysseus charged with taking care of his son and teaching him how to be a man while he was away fighting the Trojan War. Yeah. And coming back from the Trojan War. And that's basically where we get the term from in modern English is, is this idea of, a, of an older, or maybe not usually, maybe not always older, but usually older and definitely more learned person who passes their knowledge on to someone for this without... And, and not usually without the usually without the intention of getting any return on it. Basically, just for yeah. the sake of basically just for the sake of sharing that knowledge and seeing someone be better. I mean, so that, that maybe that's the return is just seeing seeing a person grow and develop themselves. And the second thing it makes me think of is um, well, what was that other thing? I think I've lost that train of thought now. But <laughs> it's you know I don't know if you were aware of this before you and I got back in touch with each other last year. I think um, yeah. Like right before, I did. I actually was a writing center tutor at Marion University. Okay. On the on, over on the west side, sort of nor, near west side of in, near northwest side of Indy. Um, they're about like 38th and Michigan, basically. Um, sure. For like a first semester, you know, and basically what that entailed is I was in the writing center in the library two days a week, and I would have student like four students a day on those two days I was there come to me and they would, we would just hold, hold a tutoring session. I would teach them like, hey, they, they, or rather they would bring their writing projects to me. They were working on their English classes or really anything they were working on. And I, we would just sort of go over them and I would use different pedagogical teaching methods to mm-hmm. instruct them on becoming better writers and, you know, sort of passing on some of the knowledge that I had gained through, you know, 10, 12, 16, whatever year, however many years of successive English instruction and English composition, English literature, all these things. Who was your favorite mentee? You know, I don't really have favorites. <laughs> you love them all equally for different Cause, cause, reasons. Because I, I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to compare them, and especially for for as short a time as I knew them. If it, if it was more than just maybe three or four months, which is really all it was, and I knew them, I might have been able to get to know them a little bit better, but. They're all such unique people. I mean, there was one. There was one girl who did um, like competitive mountain biking. Like that's one of the things that Marion offers that some schools don't. Is they have like a they have a mountain biking team, or yeah, I'm pretty sure it's mountain biking. Or maybe maybe it wasn't. I think there were a couple of people actually who are cyclists. Because if if you're if you've ever been going east or I guess west too on I-65, going like across the White River towards downtown. And you look sure. through the south side of the road, the south side of I-65, like across the opposite side of I-65 from that golf course there, like that shoot at golf golfing range. Um, there's a velodrome, and that's part of Marion University, basically. That's where they practice. And uh, 
yeah, there's a couple of students I had who are, who are cyclists. There's another student whose family came from Haiti. Um, really interesting kids. And, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's odd to think of them as kids because, you know, they're, they, they were all at least 18 or 19 years old. But compared to me, that's like a baby. You know? I mean, yeah, you're, you're 30. Yeah, right? I'm, yeah, I'm basically 30. I mean, I was 28 at the time. But that's compared to 18 or 19. That might as well be 30. Yeah, that, that's, you know, you're to an 18-year-old, the 28-year-old's the old man. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the guy that's, I mean, hell, you just, you've lived that long. Yeah. After a while, you're like, oh, not everybody I know makes it this far. Wow, I took it to a dark place. Imagine that. <laughs> so to keep spiraling downward, let's go into Jack O'Neill from the 1994 Stargate. A feature film, shall we? Yes. <laughs> Speaking of suicide, oh boy, oh boy, when that movie opens, man, he is just, just this ancient v- veteran warrior who's just staring longingly at the barrel of a pistol because his son accidentally shot himself. Mm-hmm. And he just feels guilty about it and he's like oh i failed and he's like maybe maybe this would be how i you know i don't deserve to live he he doesn't say any of this but kurt russell is such an amazing actor he can just portray it with his eyes you know and then lucky for him the air force gives him a more elaborate means of suicide the government steps in and is basically like hey we can help you there yeah you want to do it, and you'll have like you can just tell yourself you're protecting America, right? So you can die a hero and redeem yourself, right? Yep. It's a real mind fuck if you think about it. They it, it wouldn't. Oh no, I, I was I was thinking the wrong director, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, was, I was I was mixing up my weird European directors. I was confusing <laughs> Roland Emmerich with Paul Verhoeven. You know, there are two. Uh, uh, classic directors two of my yep. favorites and one of the things i love so much about the stargate movie was um how and we talked a little bit about this last week but we kept like having technical difficulties so yeah. we had to cut the episode short it's about a half hour long um what i love about stargate a lot especially the movie but after the movie we'll move into the, the this week's stargate episode we're covering is how the the conflict centers around the whole movie rests on Jack O'Neill and his decisions he makes and the conflict brewing inside of him because once he's uh, uh, his sons died his conflict is man versus self the whole time he's failed and so he has to atone for his sins and his failure but like I said earlier lucky for him the Air Force has discovered something called a Stargate, and they've got it to work. And they can go to other uh, other planets through this vortex. And Jack O'Neill's elaborate suicide plan is, if they find life on the other side, to nuke the place and yeah. stay behind. Pretty much. <laughs> what an elaborate suicide plan. So what are your thoughts on his sort of like man versus self, uh, suicidal, spiraling downward out of control sort of character? Well, it really is an interesting thing because, you know, 
it, well, I mean, on the service level, I should point out that when I was a kid, I didn't get any of that. Oh, yeah. I saw, I think I mentioned last week, I saw Stargate for the first time when I was probably like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Don't pick up on that sort of thing when you're seven or eight, unless you're like a really dark seven or eight year old. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I hope to God most, most seven or eight year olds aren't like in the know enough about dark stuff to pick up on that, mm-hmm. sort, of, that sort of idea, that sort of like downward spiraling, like, you know, mental state, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it, <laughs> Just but a sad, it, sad little kid. But go on. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that when you when you see it as an adult, you're like, oh, I get this now. He wanted to kill himself, but he didn't. But he didn't. But the Air Force decided to give him an out by saying, hey, we'll 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 give you one last job. <laughs> and, you know, it's 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 a classic. It, in a way, it's a classic story. It's one of it's, it's the story of the guy who. Of the guy, you know, it's it's man, it's the man pain story, you know, to to quote the, or to 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 coin the term that a lot of, um, more tr- sort of trendy ish, film uh, film YouTubers are using nowadays, or the you know, film like internet's you know, internet armchair scholars are, are using nowadays. It's it's the same sort of pain that you see guys. It's basically a, uh, um, Carl from Up. You know, his wife has died and he has no yeah. reason to live. So he's just going to float away and live, <laughs> on, and live, live on this waterfall in the South America, which, if you think about it, is a metaphor for suicide. Yeah. If yeah. Were, I mean, if, if you peel away the Disney Pixar veneer, that's basically <laughs> what he's doing. And it's the arrival of the little kid on his doorstep that gives him a new purpose for life. And Jack O'Neill's new purpose for life really is death. It's, I want to give you this one last mission. It's just, it's just exactly what you said. We're yeah. One last mission, and if you find a threat on the other side of this doorway that we're going to open, we want you to destroy it, and you can go out with it. Go out with a bang and a bright flash of white yeah. light. So but, instead of, so basically, they're giving him the option to instead of dying, like in his son's bedroom with his with the gun that his son accidentally killed himself with, they're giving him the option to die a hero, and he's t- and he decided to take that option. And it's funny how similar the plot to Stargate is with Up, right? That those two old characters, because Jack O'Neill, once they're on the other side and he's with the scientist named Daniel Jackson and there's Mm -hmm. a team of soldiers there and they find locals, uh, local, we we call them local nationals in in the army, but they found local nationals there. Yep. And they're like, and, and the local nationals think that they're, intergalactic space gods right yeah and then they learn uh, uh they're not but then the intergalactic space gods show up and they steal their nuke and so they're going to send the nuke through the stargate again and then to kind of like to cap the end of this man versus self sort of thing it's all kind of rest on whether jack o'neill fires off the nuke or not right yep. because it's there's this scene where he's having this big fist fight with a Jaffa, one of the uh, intergalactic space wizard soldiers or whatever. Yeah. And he, uh, uh, the job, it seems like he's trying to not set off the nuke and the Jaffa's trying to set off the nuke or like, he's not sure. And so I'm like, Oh, they're showing the ram, the, the physical manifestation of man versus self. This is his interior conflict given form. Mm-hmm. And then once they kind of defeat the bad guys and then he sends the nuke up 
to the bad guy's spaceship and kills the bad guys. And so that kind of shows how he's picked life at the end of this movie. Yep. And there's a little boy, I say boy, he's probably about 17. And he's one of the locals. And Jack kind of takes a liking to him, kind of, you know, start in the most 90s way possible. He teaches a teenage kid how to smoke. Yep. <laughs> Literally. And you know, it's it's very apropos that you mention this because literally just the other day I saw a clip from the pilot of Stargate SG One from children, the Children of the Gods, you know, yeah. the original two part pilot episode mm-hmm. of Richard Dean Anderson's Jack O'Neill talking with um, Ray Acavone's uh, or Acavone's um, Ray Kowalski, who's all mm-hmm. both characters of which are of course are in the movie played by different actors. Um, mm-hmm. And they're talking about like, and they're talking about how about Scara, which is the name mm-hmm. of this teenager that Jack um, sort of took under his wing. And he and Jack actually says in this clip, uh, you know, he reminded me of my son. So yeah, they they they, they little they do literally expand on that word, you know, word for word, basically right right along that vein in the show. And and to piggyback off of that, that's a great transition point. So tonight's episode that we're kind of going to cover is episode 17, season one, Solitudes. And there's a piece in there where they piggyback off the show, right? Because in that episode, you've got SG-1 is coming back. It's a real quiet episode, but it's really kind of sad. It's full of emotional pathos. SG-1, well, okay, let's start here. So... There was a TV show called Stargate SG-1 that was the sequel to the movie. SG-1 means that there's 12 teams that go out and explore the galaxy with the Stargate. SG-1 is the primary team and are it is, is the, the main focus of the television show. Yep. It has four characters. It has Daniel Jackson, Jack O'Neill, a guy named Teal who was an enemy soldier that defected, and Samantha Carter, which is like a smart, pretty blonde tough lady who gallivants along the stars and kicks ass right yes my first celebrity my first character crush as a kid oh her and Topanga Lawrence man let me tell you <laughs> um <laughs> so speaking of Topanga Lawrence there's this funny thing I have to say because just in case we never cover Boy Meets Road I want to cover it here so I remember being I don't know 12 Right. Mm-hmm. And there was a girl named Tia in my class that I was so painfully in love with because you're 12. But also I was like, no, I love Topanga. I don't love Tia. I love Topanga. Right. It was this like you would have thought that I had some sort of Sophie's Choice thing going on. Right. <laughs> with two, one woman didn't know I existed. I say woman. We were all 12 at the same time. One person didn't know I existed. One person did, but what nothing to do with me. So, <laughs> but oh, to be young and painfully confused. Yep. But I digress. Um, we've all been there. I've been there. Someday I'll have to tell you the story about a girl named Lauren. I look forward to that day. And tonight's episode covering season one, episode 17, mm-hmm. Solitudes, shows. 
SG one coming in hot through the Stargate, although Daniel Jackson and Teal come in and Samantha Carter and Jack O'Neill are stuck through a different gate on an ice planet. Yep. And they spend the whole episode trying to find Samantha Carter and Jack O'Neill. Jack O'Neill's hurt. He's slowly dying. He's getting worse and worse and worse. And in a scene where they expand on the movie, because in the movie, when you dial the Stargate, it just kind of shakes and just kind of gets all vortexy and everything's exciting. And they take an inconsistency from the TV show and the movie and turn it into a plot point, which is fucking brilliant. Where in the TV show, you just dial the gate and it makes a bunch of numbers and lights glow. And they say, hey, you know how this thing used to shake a bunch Mm -hmm. and now it does it? And they're like, yeah, we installed inertial dampeners. And then he says, well, what if they're on an ice? What if they what is what if there's a second gate here on Earth? Because I saw it shake a few minutes ago, the gate, but it didn't go. And what if they just went to Earth through a second gate? And so I thought that was cool. Yeah, I thought that was cool. You brought that up. But I'm like, oh, they do that throughout the show. They take pieces of the movie and they just expand, expand, expand on it. It's something that, funnily enough, they actually do that they sort of give a name to later on in the series. There's an episode, one of one of the Martin Lloyd episodes, the little alien guy who comes mm-hmm. down and helps and actually accidentally creates the little Martin, little alien guy who invents the show. Uh, wormhole extreme they're, they're talking, and i think it's like the i think it's episode 200 they're talking about like ideas for making a, a wormhole extreme movie which is yeah basically their way of sort of riffing on firefly and serenity because i think they actually make a joke that the show the show only had one season and teal says yes but it did very well in dvd sales <laughs> and uh but like one of the things that martin says in that episode is he refers they refer he, that he refers to is called hanging a lantern and that's kind of yeah. what they're doing in, in a way with it, with all these little callbacks to the movies. They're hanging a lantern on something and saying, yes, we understand that this is a certain way. And this is why we are. This is how we're hand waving it away. It's, it's very much a sci-fi trope. Yeah. And, and gosh, you know, to, and to think about how many. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you know, you're, you're I'm just, just adding on. It's not just a sci-fi trope. It's definitely a, a, a sci-fi trope, but it's also a storytelling trope in general but i think it's, it's, I think it's just exactly. more common. it's more common in john in genre fiction because of the more convoluted world building usually exactly and and to think about how long that show lasted mm-hmm. and gosh 10 seasons what 20 episodes a season something like yeah. that something like insane. Say. god damn that's a lot yeah. And for it to be even narratively coherent at the end, I, I don't know. I, I honestly haven't seen all of it. And I look forward to doing because I kind of like I'm liking the idea of, you know, just doing Stargate episodes and covering those with you. So we're going to explore Stargate a bit. I'm not sure how much, but I know next Wednesday there's going to be a Stargate episode. And. Um, which which one were you wanting to do that we didn't do? The one I was wanting to do was called is called um, Enigma. It's I think it's actually just the episode right before that one. I think I think we 
it, 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 I, it, it's not it's not your fault at all because I actually noticed this funnily enough when I was looking up Enigma to watch on Amazon is they they must group uh, the first the two the first two episodes together as one so the first season yeah. only has twenty one episodes on Amazon whereas in reality it's twenty two which is the first two are a two parter. Well, yeah, um, that's not a big deal, and, yeah, for sure. and that just means I get to rewatch Stargate with yeah. you, which is amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, the main reason, I mean, there, there's, there's there's a couple reasons I wanted to do that one, but the main reason is, is there's a line, or not really a line, but there's there's a scene in that episode that's probably my most favorite scene in all of Stargate, if not one of my, and, and definitely, and maybe even one of my favorite scenes in all of sci-fi, because it, it's, it's sci-fi done almost perfectly, in my opinion. Well, I'm excited to watch it. Don't Here's spoil it. it for me. I won't. I won't. I won't say. I won't say a thing more. I'll let you watch it. I'll let you try. And I did. I think. We'll, I think what we'll do is after you watch it, and when we record again, you can try and guess what scene I'm talking about, and then I'll tell you, and I'll tell you why. I look forward to it. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, um, what? How's your writing going? What do you have going on? What, what, what's your latest and greatest? Well, I'm currently working. Actually, I'm currently dabbling in a couple of stories. Um, I've sent you obviously some some cool tidbits from some of them. I'm working on some some graphics and and like ship design to go with a story called Infinitum, which I might have mentioned last time, which is sort of a swashbuckling sort of homage yeah. to stories like Firefly and Star Wars and things like that. Um, but yeah. this week, I was sort of taking a break from that and working on another one I have going, which is called Outpost Providence, which is basically. The elevator, I don't really have an elevator pitch worked up for it, but the sort of tentative elevator pitch is this is 10 years after the war for the moon. Um, a veteran of the lunar war who's working on Mars for like the UN science mission there, sort of like the, sort of like the international science mission in Antarctica today, mm-hmm. gets wrapped up in an investigation of his commander's death. Um, basically, the commander of their, out, of their base or their, their outpost, whatever you want to call it, turns up dead. And the investigation into why he died unravels this big conspiracy that threatens the entire science endeavor on Mars and threatens to plunge Earth back into war. Or threatens to plunge Earth into World War III. I look forward to reading it here soon. Yeah. I, um... Hopefully it will be soon. I need to get one of these finished sooner than later so that we can actually, I can actually get it published and get it out there. And that's not, that's not a slight against you. I'm not saying anything bad against about, 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 uh, about your work on shadow play. Um, I'm sure I, I know it will be ready when it's ready. I'm just saying I need to get, I, need oh. to, I haven't finished writing anything since I wrote spacers for God's sake. I need, I need to finish it. I need to finish the story for once. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I've, I've started about four or five, maybe even six new stories, but I haven't <laughs> finished any of them. I've just been dabbling. I've just been like, I just been like code switching between all these stories because I'll get, I'll get ideas for one. And I'll, I'll be hyper fixated on it for a week, like the little autistic kid I am. And then I'll be hyper fixated on another one for a week or two. And then just, it's like, it's like a pinball machine. I had an idea. I mean, well, first of all, uh, I yeah, I'm currently going through the process of painting what is rapidly becoming the entire inside of my house. And you've seen my house; it's not small. Yeah, and you got a nice sized house. It's a nice sized house. I um, I'm. We're hoping to have a kid here 
at some point and uh apparently i have a ton of like chipping lead paint from that the house is 100 years old and you know and, and so the health department guy came in and he's like yeah so you're an adult so you're probably good just don't eat it and uh but like it'll fuck up a kid so i'm like oh well how do i fix this and he's like just paint over it yeah and i was like oh cool that's easy but that's literally most of my evenings yeah, for the last you. several weeks. I have been painting almost nonstop. And it's and so what I did was I, I took I basically took the same colors that were there before, right? And just redid it. I, and, and the painting clearly hadn't been updated since maybe the first Obama administration, long oh, time yeah. ago. It's been a minute. And so I've been busy fixing up everything else from the house. Now everything's fixed up. And I'm like, oh, I can worry about the paint. Yeah. And anyway, so my God willing, uh, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping to get a yeah. shadow play to you with fuck, man. Whenever I, whenever I get done. Hey, like I said, no rush at all. I want the only reason I even brought it up is because I, I thought, well, wait a second. I just said that I need to get a story out there. I don't want Derwin to interpret that as saying that I'm trying to that I'm disappointed in his progress on Shadow because that's not what I'm saying. Oh, at not at all, not so, at all. Yeah. I, I yeah, had I, an I totally idea about. I had an idea about spacers. Go ahead. So I published Spacers Volume One, right, mm -hmm. and I bought it off you. Yep. Now I think. Currently, if we were going to try to like equate the two, we would say, "Oh, that's a parallel universe." Yeah, right. That's like Elseworlds, basically. Exactly, an alternate timeline. And what if? Because you've got spacers two and three still. Two is nearly two is just about print ready, mm -hmm. and three. Uh, Threes, uh, I, I think, I don't know, I needed a couple drafts still when we were working on it's it like years that. ago. But what if three shows Cam go into the current updated timeline? He goes into a parallel universe. Oh, my God. Right? That might actually be kind of cool. We'll see, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just, throwing the, just throwing the kernel of the idea into yeah. your head just to kind of see what germinates because i mean in my head i'm like well you know we've got the covers well I'm two is print ready it's so we could probably finagle three to fit a, a multiverse storyline or something but go on well, well here let, let me tell you let me tell you my crazy and it's not a rebuttal i don't want to say i don't want to use the term rebuttal because it has the wrong connotation this is my like this is my my counterpoint to your and again a counterpoint sounds like i'm trying to like argue against your, your idea this is my response to your idea there you i've go. had this idea of my own cooking up for a couple months maybe even a couple years it's been in some form or another for a while now basically sure. is the gist of this story is the gist of this idea of, of what i'm talking about but um it's come into it's come sort of full it's come full circle recently with the addition of the story infinitum because I don't know if I explained this before, maybe last week when we talked about Infinitum or not, but the MacGuffin of the story Infinitum, in fact, the reason for the name Infinitum, because of it, it's named after Project Infinitum, which is a Martian Federation project to break the light barrier and go faster than light speed. Sure. Um, 
by sort of tweaking transference technology, which, as I've mentioned before, in, in the current iteration of the story, involves beaming uh, digitized versions of people to other star systems. So, like, I, you're basically like uploading a person onto a light beam and sending them to another star system. It's kind of like transporter technology from Star Trek, but not instantaneous. Sure. Um, and so it's a little bit more explainable as hard sci-fi. Hard sci-fi. The Martians, however, as of the 2580s or, or thereabouts, have found a way to break the light barrier using this technology and are, are intent on using it to conquer the galaxy. Um, okay. One of the big reasons, there's, there's two big reasons why the, why, why one of the main characters, why, why Tamara Hawkins, which is one of the main characters in Infinitum, she's, a, she's, a, she's basically the Princess Leia um, slash uh, River Tam's character who's trying to get to Talvan to warn the ICA about Mar Mars' intentions. The reason she's intent on warning them is, on the one hand, because obviously if, the, if Mars gets the ability to go anywhere instantaneously, they can pretty much dance around the ICA and defeat them in a war overnight. Sure. Um, but the bigger threat is that the Martians are not taking into account the fact that that faster than light travel violates causality. And violating causality means you create time paradoxes. And creating time paradoxes gets into the multiverse. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's basically the idea I had is um, this Martian manipulation of, of faster than light sort of breaks the universe. It's kind of like how, and I don't know if you're familiar with the old DC comic storyline Crisis on Infinite Earths, but basically the point of Crisis on Infinite Earths is that um, some character, I think it was like the Anti-Monitor or something, was screwing with the multiverse and cre basically created a bigger problem of the multiverse. That's where the multiverse originally came from in the DC universe. And um, that's kind of the idea I have for uh, the Spacer Saga is that near, is that like at the, at the end of the, the main story or at the end of the like the, the story of infinitum we bring in i bring in this concept of, of, of the multiverse and time travel to sort of spice things up because that way i can maybe bring i can like have characters from different points in the timeline interacting with each other having different versions of characters interacting with each other it kind of turns the second centauri war into a time war and by doing that you know i can basically turn something that's still somewhat hard sci-fi and within the bounds of physics into something that's a little more off the rails and a little more fun as a result. I'm liking the, I'm kind of liking the format here where we kind of open up with a personal story mm -hmm. or kind of like a, a thought and then kind of transition into like a pop culture thing and then kind of, you know, wrapping up with like a writing thing or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. And if I mean fuck, there's been eight thousand different variations of the blanket fortress of solitude. Mm -hmm. So who knows? You know, I'm sure things will change again. But I'm liking this for right now. And I'm liking doing these with you. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm having a lot of tell fun me, with it too, buddy. Tell me more about this job offer you got. Yeah, I was actually I was just getting ready to bring that up. I was, I'm kind of excited about it, obviously. Um basically what it is it's a communications and outreach so it's kind of what pretty much what i'm doing now based on the job description that, that i looked at that i looked back at because obviously i haven't looked at it in about a week since i applied but it's basically doing exactly what i'm doing now at the place where i'm doing it now just for a slightly different team 
But okay. Be, but you know, I would be doing. I would be working at Goddard as a communications and outreach person um, for a NASA contractor. And you know, the the only the only the only thing I have to worry about is whether or not they're willing to wait on me to finish the internship. But I asked a friend of mine who actually works for that contractor. I asked him if it would be like an impediment the fact that they'd have to wait on me, and he said, "No, if they, if, if you're the one they're looking at looking for, they, that's all that's negotiable." So all they need is time. That's yeah, pretty so, good. Would you be on site? Yes, I would. I would most likely be on site because it is um, it's hybrid work, which means it's not every day of the week, but obviously some days of the week you are on on site. So I would. I would oh, have to oh, Maryland. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's like it's just a little bit north and east of DC. Look at you riding off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> There's also I also wanted to mention this to you while I had you on the line. There's a chance anyway. It's a small small chance, but a chance nonetheless that I might be uh, doing a summer course and like a brief summer course in Scotland this summer because there's a summer there's a summer residency program through Johns Hopkins that's going to be in Scotland from like the end of July through the very first couple days of August. You know, I mean, if you're able to do that and it doesn't fuck up with your time frame, fucking. I would a thousand, uh, yes, yes, a thousand percent, yes. Yep. That's that's amazing, and oh man, I'm so happy for you, man. You're getting you're getting everything you want, and that's great. And yeah, yeah I've, I've probably told you this a thousand times, but the first time I when we when we first became friends, I kind of kind of look at you. I'm like, oh shit. There's there's like you meet somebody, and you're like, oh. He's gonna do something. He's got kind of a spark to him, you know. He's he's just weird enough to pull it off, and you pull it <laughs> off. Sometimes sure. someone has to break the mold. At the risk of sounding like I'm tooting my own horn, which I totally don't want to do. Sometimes I mean, someone has to break the mold so that new directions I mean, and new avenues can be explored. You're speaking to a guy who you know uh, <laughs> like made a nine part podcast series about his own memoirs. And also I made several documentaries about myself to your own horn, man. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like this thing I saw on Instagram, like literally 10 minutes before I got on to record with you. And where it's like saying goodbye as a usual person, you say goodbye and you leave. And it says saying goodbye as a Midwestern. And it's like saying goodbye <laughs> Like scribbles over to a side story, then another side story, then <laughs> talking outside of the car. Anyway, sir, I'm gonna let you go. Um, what a pleasure this was. Yep. Thank you so much for doing these silly podcasts with me. They mean the world. And we'll have to set up a time because I just got this new big screen TV set up. So we'll have awesome. to set up a thing. Yeah, we'll have to set up this thing where you come over and hang out and watch TV. Yeah, sounds good. So okay, I think. For that, we'll wrap up today for the Blanket Fortress Solitude. I am Derwin. And I am Nick. And we will see you next Monday morning at 0700.